Hello, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliGame Radio. I'm your host, Josh Boykin. I've been thinking a lot about the games that I come back to time and again. Certainly, some of this comes from nostalgia, but I also really appreciate the kind of learning experience you get when you go through something that you're familiar with. For me, one of those franchises, actually, is the Mega Man Battle Network series. This is a set of RPGs released on the Game Boy Advance, where you play as Lan, a net operator who has his net navi, MegaMan.exe. Over the course of six games, you explore the world and save the internet, and of course the physical world, multiple times. Now, I loved the games when I first went through them. I couldn't stop playing them. The blending of real-time action plus a sort of like card-based mechanic was just super enthralling to me. But now that I find that every time that I go back to one of those games, I feel like I get something different out of the experience. There's a certain amount of familiarity that comes with knowing the music, from understanding the battle systems a little better, but I also come to the game with a different set of experiences, of life knowledge, that help me see the themes and the ideas in the games in a different light, sometimes for better and for worse. There's a certain type of experience that we get when we have the opportunity to get more than just a shallow or first-time reading of an experience. It's the kind of knowledge that comes with depth. And depth is the theme for this week's episode. Over the course of our time together, we're going to explore a bunch of different approaches to the concept of depth. We start today's episode with an interview with Robin Haley and Darren Molly of Paraloon Studio. Their new game, Mythic Ocean, debuted at PAX South, and they have an interesting approach to the concept of depth. Perhaps it's a little bit on the nose because it is partially an underwater exploration game, but there are also a number of ways that, through the evolving narrative and the characters that you meet along the way, you get a sort of experience of depth within yourself, asking yourself questions about how the world around you should be shaped and the potential consequences of those decisions. After that, we'll transition into our director's cut reading of We're In This Together, an article I wrote in 2018 about Tetris Effect. After that, we'll close with our game recommendation from Jenny Windham, our IntelliGame Club curator, which will also give you an opportunity for some underwater exploration, but with a slightly different tone. I hope you enjoy the show, and of course, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or feedback, go ahead and send them to my email josh at intelligame.us, or you can tag us on social media at intelligameus. Let's go ahead and get started. Robin, Darren, welcome to Intelligame Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you for having us, Josh. Yeah, same. Thank you. So you folks worked on Mythic Ocean, a sort of, I guess as you described it to me earlier, a sort of hybrid of a visual novel and underwater exploration. What brought you to the idea of creating this game? A few things, I guess. One is that, uh, so Matt, our, our third team member, actually has thalassophobia, or he did at one time anyway, which is the the fear of the ocean, the fear of, of deep, dark waters, you know? And oh, wow. so like it was, it was partially born from the idea that like he wanted to explore this thing that he finds fascinating, but also fearful, you know? 
And so for him, the journey of working on the project has been partially like kind of like facing his fears and also kind of overcoming them. Uh, he's said recently that he doesn't really experience too much fear of the sea anymore. So that's, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. The other thing is really that like, you know, we, we love games like Shadow of the Colossus and, and, and Dark Souls and stuff where there's like these big god-like creatures that you interact with, you know, these majestic beings. And um, we had the idea like, well, it's, it's kind of sad that in so many games you end up destroying, you know, and defeating these creatures in combat. You know, what if you could talk to them and kind of get into their heads a little and, and find out how they think and, and feel, you know, and, and reach them on a, on a verbal level rather than a, on the battlefield. So that's, that's kind of where the rest of the idea came forth, I guess. Yeah, we were more interested in conversation and mythology than in strictly making, hey, uh, here's a game that's going to sell. Really, it was lots of different building blocks on top of each other when it came to brainstorming. The Philosophobia one was the initial spark, but it wasn't the first idea that we actually even landed on. We hilariously thought that this idea was going to be the lowest scope <laughs> three <Yeah>. years later. <laughs> yeah, we had a variety of ideas, and well, I guess this one, we, we were still able to get it done, so that's good. Well, it's, it's funny, you bring up philosophobia, and my first thought, uh, showing my English major, uh, maybe my, maybe I shouldn't have gotten that degree, I was like, oh, if you're a philosophy, how about that? Uh, but there's, there's definitely a philosophical component in the narrative of Mythic Ocean, as you go through, talk to these different underwater gods, and potentially have this chance to sort of shape the future. Darren, you said that you've you focused on this idea of creating a, a branching narrative and having an opportunity for players to to learn through the experience of making these choices. What was it like creating some of the narrative in this game? It, it was always very character focused, like kind of character first, you know, because one of the first things I did on the project is I, I sat down and I, I studied world mythologies, you know, throughout history. I made a big spreadsheet of, of gods from various pantheons and, you know, their their portfolios, the things they the kind of the concepts they represented and their personality traits and sort of put together an idea for our own custom pantheon that, that Mythic Ocean would have, you know. Once I started thinking about how the personalities of those characters would begin to sort of bounce off one another and and, and integrate, um, the plot, the, 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 the narrative arc of the full game sort of blossomed forth from that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, you have to have a, a bit of a focus on character and a game like this where you have so much exploration but i find even as i am just exploring the beginning of the game that each of the different characters that you interact with whether they're the gods or sort of ancillary npcs have these really strong identities to them that are conveyed both in the the ways that they're having discussions with you but also in their look and feel could you talk a little bit about that design process robin like how did you come about taking these various fish or sea creatures and giving them this, bringing them to life? Sure. Uh, when it came to the gods, that was something that we built off of most, I guess, foremost. Darren did his research on all of the different mythologies, and then we collaborated on, okay, what are some of the archetypes that we see? And what do we want to have as our cast? And in fact, the cast was eight gods when we were starting the project, and we found out fairly quickly that we couldn't accommodate for that many. 
So out of all of them, which were the most standout? Which did we already come to love in a short amount of time? And how could we build off of these characters? So the gods were more mythology and all of us going over what we liked design-wise and what would fit these uh, personalities. But when it comes to the side NPCs, they were designed after marine life. We didn't want them to be as fantastical as a way to juxtapose the gods and creatures that would be more, I guess, grounded, you could say, even though it's water. (laughs) (laughs) And the personalities came about from what these marine creatures were and fascinating facts about them. Others, maybe not so much. Crabs don't tend to break dance. Uh, We've gotten a lot of (laughs) comments about crab rave, which I swear we didn't know about beforehand, but sure, yeah, crab rave. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag crab rave. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, the personalities came in different orders and everything felt a lot more organic that way. It was a delight to be able to research things and see how the research would inform the design and sometimes a design could inform the research or the character. Absolutely. There are a number of things about the game that to me feel really they trigger a lot of introspection right the idea that i think a lot of people experience when they they play a game where your decisions matter is that you you have this ability to almost to embark on a power fantasy through that right mm-hmm. but i feel like i'm i don't feel as powerful as i'm going through mythic ocean it feels like i'm i'm answering questions about myself as I'm also digging into these, you know, these ideas that are going to shape the world around me. How did you determine that that was the, the angle that you wanted to go with, with the narrative? No, that's, that's a great question. I'm, I'm definitely glad to hear that the game caused you to, to have those introspective thoughts because we definitely hope for that. And I guess it really comes from a few thoughts that we had during development. One of which is, you know, the, the idea of the power fantasy, you know, that was discussed amongst us on the team quite a bit and how common it is in games uh, of all kinds, really. And how we did sort of want to like consciously introduce something else to have you, the the player, not really be exactly the main character. You're more of a mediator. You're more of a um, uh, an advisor to the gods. You know, the gods are the ones with all the power, even though they don't know that they are gods during the story, most of them anyway. We, we, we kind of wanted the player to be in support of the gods rather than stealing the spotlight from them. Ultimately, the game is very much more about the gods, but but the introspective part comes from, well, the way you advise them is, is probably going to spring forth from your own thinking. You know, the way you look at the world, um, what you what you value and what you want to foster in the gods, right? As, as far as their personalities and approaches to things go. So I, th- I think what you're describing there really springs forth from that conscious choice we made to have the player sort of not be the main character for once. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy to hear it actually because we wanted to encourage introspection and our aim was to promote empathy and have people think about things from others' perspective, maybe even subverting the power fantasy a little because most games are power fantasies and a lot of modern stories are power fantasies and there's nothing wrong with that. 
but I think we're especially entering a new sort of public psyche of wanting to be better to each other and encouraging what has felt like a lack of empathy. Yeah. I would, I would love for you to dig into that a bit. It's fairly evident that you have this this sort of perspective on what it means to to create art that is that is working against this this sense of a power fantasy. You've all you've also created in other mediums, right? You've been published in a couple of anthologies. What is it about creating games that you feel like enables you space to work to this idea? Oh, fascinating. I think with games, there is something inherent about how it's experienced that can encourage empathy or encourage a interaction that's different from all other mediums, because it's a way of you creating something and people can interact with it in a way where they're also actively creating. And creation itself is a process that I find is so much harder than destruction. And it fascinates me that most games are about destruction, but we all have this inherent desire and ability to create. So I don't know, I think games have so much more to offer and I really want to see that medium push because it's also still so young and new in comparison that we haven't explored yet. I don't think that Mythic Ocean is necessarily doing anything profound or super innovative, but we wanted to subvert a couple of expectations. I think it's interesting that you bring up this idea of uh, of try of innovation, right? There's a sort of synthesis that I think happens when you bring these different component pieces together in games. And I think particularly about going to meet Lutra, who is you know, this sort of small, feels like a vulnerable, frail creature, but the entire environment that surrounds Lutra and the cave that you sort of swim through on your way to encounter Lutra for the first time is is just gorgeous. And I think that there's so much about the combination of the music along with the visuals that kind of puts you in this this vulnerable state of wonder. Darren, you worked on the on the music and the the sound design. Can you talk a bit about what it was like trying to create that atmosphere for the game? Uh, great question. Yeah, I mean, to, to speak from a point of what inspires me music wise in other games, you know, I, I love the Metroid series. I've always loved the soundtracks to those games. I love how like sort of transportive the music is. You know, it's very atmospheric. It's it's spacey. You know. But but other than that, it, you know, it has depth. It has depth, and and there's a, a variety of moods. I mean, especially in Metroid Prime, you know, you have some very deep, ominous, unsettling pieces, like when you're in the Chozo ruins, you know, and then you go to Fendrana Drifts, and there's these beautiful, glistening, synth leads and stuff that sound more promising or hopeful. I just started grinning thinking about that. Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that kind of a a, a an atmospheric kind of spacey but also tonally diverse audio environment is the kind of thing that I've always loved in games. You know, I, I hear stuff like that in the old Myst games, Myst and Riven. I hear it in um, like the Donkey Kong Country games too, actually. You know, there's there's just this really beautiful atmospheric quality, uh, a blending of obviously artificial synth sounds with stuff that resembles real life a little more, you know, pianos and 
and woodwinds and stuff. You know, you mentioned synthesis, and and I think that's exactly what I was kind of doing with the soundtrack too. I mean, there's a lot of different genres happening too. You know, there are some jazzier pieces. There's the sort of there's the the party theme that plays when you first encounter Amar, you know, which is like, like yeah. super upbeat. There's some 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 jazzy notes in there. And I wanted there to be this this contrast or, or juxtaposition. You know, Robin mentioned the juxtaposition of the gods with the, the more mundane sea life in the game. I wanted that in the soundtrack very much too. And I think that's part of what brings the right tonality to, to the environments, audio-wise. You've been working on this project for three years. I assume that there have been a number of different life changes that have taken place over that time. The world's also changed a bit in the past three years as well, right? And yes, the world always changes, but it feels pretty significant. Do you feel like there has been sort of a message or an idea that you've tried to channel into your work? Oh man, this is this is a major topic, but Darren, do you want to take this first? Yeah, sure. Um, so in a game about gods creating a new world and forming new societies like ours, I think it's it's impossible for the game not to be a bit political, you know? some of our ideas about the way we feel societies are, are, are best run and governed is definitely infused in the plot. Um, we, we leave it open to the player's interpretation which endings they like best, but there are some that are pretty unequivocally bad. Bad for the mortals, I guess I should say, the, the mortals of the new world, you know. <laughs> um, there are some worlds that come about that are, that are very unpleasant for them, uh, that restrict their freedoms greatly. You know, it's it's possible to change the thinking of nearly any god in the game based on what you say to them, right? And how they think and feel and look at the world at the end is crucial for what they decide to do when the new world comes about. And there are some gods that can do some very selfish things with their new worlds at the end, you know, if they haven't learned the lessons they need to. There are some gods who take a very authoritarian and controlling stance on the new world and this you know as i said earlier restricts the freedoms of the mortals and, and isn't good for them there are other gods who on certain paths of thinking are, are too removed from the world you know they they're lackadaisical and because they don't invest in and 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 make risks towards helping their world and pushing it in a better direction uh things decay and go badly because of that neglect do you know what i mean so yeah, absolutely. I guess what we're what we're trying to sort of highlight a bit is is this idea of balance, you know, thinking carefully, using power responsibly, and and being balanced in your your view of things, you know. Yeah. Robin, I think you were you were saying something as well. Oh, we're thinking of something. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a lot to say on uh, the topic. <laughs> so the first thing I'll bring up is. I have, for a long time, considered myself loosely an environmentalist. I love nature. It's what recharges me. I've always had a deep appreciation for it. And I certainly know that those themes have popped up into the game and we've been inspired by not only considering someone else's perspective, but considering the fate of the environment or world around you. So I think that climate change certainly existed well before we were developing the game, but it has really come to a precipice, I suppose, 
since we've been in development. And I, you know, all I can do is hope that maybe our game could make people consider their planet as well as each other a little bit more because of it. So when it comes to politics, environmentalism is almost always what I'm the most passionate about, but Lord knows a lot has happened in these past three years. Yep. (laughs) And throughout the three years also, I feel like I've essentially transitioned from young adult to full adult, if such a thing (laughs) exists. Um, it's it's beaten me up. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. I, I went into this feeling like an idealist and, you know, chasing a dream and wanting to make a difference. And now coming out on the other side, um, Darren and I experienced a lot of losses during production. And I just look at myself in the mirror and I can see how old I've gotten in just three years. Uh, it, it feels sure. it feels like an ordeal, so I'm glad I'm glad the game is out there. But uh, it's not the game's fault; just a lot has happened. There is something about the ability to create amidst. There's something about the ability to create amidst those struggles that I think is often lauded, you know, everybody's like, you got to play through the pain. You've got, you know, there's this idea that in order to create art, you have to suffer, um, (laughs) which I I totally vote against. I'm 100% against, but yeah, it's, but I also think silly suffering should stop being romanticized. Yeah. 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 Turns out taking care of yourself is a good thing, but I also (laughs) imagine, um, though I'm sorry to hear about the, the losses that you experienced being able to have each other being able to have the team provides you a bit of of resilience and perhaps some of those reminders of of compassion and hope that do also seem to make their way into the game's narrative yeah yeah we really hope for that we (laughs) i certainly hope that i am not coming out of this like some battle-hardened veteran but i have a new experience with life, and I can only hope that Mythic Ocean is a token still of hope and showing the world that even bad experiences can be a good thing. My my one thing that I will gush about because I because I have this moment and I had to share I have to share it with somebody <laughs> is the first time that you hit one of the like sort of jet streams one of the like rising air currents underwater mm-hmm. i don't know what it was uh it was like in the the eels area and i'm swimming through and the music is like uplifting and the sun is shining down i was like i wonder if i can walk into this thing and it just like from the ocean floor it just shoots you up multiple feet in the air and you hear the splash of like emerging and then splashing back down and i just like literally laughed out loud like i Uh, I was just it was a moment that i i really appreciated and i think that being able to juxtapose that sort of like happiness and joy and exploration uh, with some moments of deep introspection i think there's a lot uh a lot to appreciate there so uh yeah thank you for putting that work in of course oh thanks i'm so happy you enjoyed it really glad to hear that because like, like exactly what you're highlighting there again is is 
one of my greatest hopes is that people will appreciate the tonal diversity that's going on in the game, you know, and, and you, you chose very interestingly a moment of, you know, pure, pure viscerality, you know, being popped out of the water and contrasted that with the deeper philosophical parts of the story. But then like the story itself also has those, those lighthearted moments, those goofy moments, you know, and then those perhaps darker and, and tougher, but still potentially meaningful moments, right? Yeah, it's it's a good way to illustrate why we actually decided to make this partially an exploration game. Visual novels are fantastic for uh, exploring that introspective angle, but it doesn't allow you an area to be able to feel something other than that, I suppose. It's about being in a world as much as it is about talking to other people or interaction. Yeah. Well, uh, I would like to wrap up with the same question uh, we ask everybody at the end of the show. If you had to choose a game to suggest for somebody else to play that would give them a sense of what you value in games or the game that changed your perspective about what games could be, your game, perhaps, what would that game be and why? And I'll, I'll give you both a, a game because... Uh, you're both people you have to be able to talk about your own game. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead, Bob, or should I start? Uh, you start. Okay. I'm tempted to mention more than one game because this is such a hard question. So <laughs> this is, this is anarchy. <laughs> Break those rules. You're meant to be broken. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm going to mention the first one very briefly, but then highlight the second. So, the first I want to mention as like a strong recommendation that I always give to people, and it is the game that made me want to like truly maybe positive I wanted to make games and make music for games and write stories for games is Chrono Trigger. And so much has been written and said about Chrono Trigger that I don't think I need to wax about what it does so very right. It, I still strongly recommend it, and, and certainly there is some inspiration in Mythic Ocean from that game. But for to sure. highlight, like, like you mentioned, what changing my perspective of what games can do. Uh, so the one I want to actually really highlight is uh, Kentucky Route Zero, which uh, it's on my brain again since the final act is finally out and I haven't played it yet. But uh, Robin and I played yeah. the other four and we were just kind of blown away by the the beautiful, bizarre, fascinating and like, again, introspective experience that it is. There's a wide range of, of really interesting characters you get to meet. And um, it's it's an odd world that's at times metaphorical, you know, and like at times definitely philosophical, you know, in, in maybe a similar way to, to, to Mythic Ocean. It plays on the idea of that in some really fascinating ways that sort of add this, this, this subtext to the story that's being told. And in particular, the story shifts perspectives from character to character, sometimes somewhat abruptly, such that you might make a dialogue choice for one character, and then in the next story beat, you are choosing the response that another character makes to what you just chose a moment ago. So you you said the first wow. thing from the perspective of one person, and now you're, you're, you're thinking about how to respond to it from the point of view of maybe this character you've never even made a dialogue choice for before. That to me is just such a beautiful way of, you know, highlighting in a subtle way how different people think, you know? And I, I loved that about the game. Fantastic. I uh, am afraid that perhaps I'll be accused of being basic for this answer, but (laughs) (laughs) 
I wasn't going for it anyway, and I'd say it would probably be Journey. Ah, yes. Yeah. Journey. <laughs> yeah. It's just so good to be able to experience a story without technically a word said, and it feels like universal language, and it feels like a universal myth being told. I had such a deeply changing experience from it too, because I was at a major crossroads in my life, and I would credit it in a way to where I am now and being a game developer because of just when it entered my life, and also knowing who else it affected before that. My uh, little brother had broken his knee, like shattered his kneecap. And he just played Silent Hill and Journey to get him out of that funk, which is quite a a duo. (laughs) But it it meant... It's a bit of a contrast. Yeah, it meant that much more when I played it and was deeply affected by it. And just, I don't know, it transported me to a different world. And it's so bewildering to me how much... That game can also show people's personalities because I reacted differently to certain scenes than other people did. I remember specifically when you're going through that dark area, sorry, spoilers ahead, there's a dark cave <laughs> and a like dragon thing comes at you. Uh, I was just skating along with my unknown friend and I immediately felt the urge to protect this friend and so i was trying to like get in front of the friend and chase him away and i'm pretty sure they just thought i was an idiot where it's like don't go by the dragon (laughs) it's like but i i need you to be okay so yeah just i i think it's a beautiful example of how games can transport you and how different people are too darren robin thank you so much for being on the podcast Thank you so much for having us. This is fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Really appreciate it. You can find out more about Paraloon Studio and Mythic Ocean by going to the website, paraloon.com. You can also follow them on social media on Instagram or Twitter at Mythic Ocean Game. On last week's show, I interviewed Zalavir Nelson Jr., a narrative designer and director who has done some really fantastic work. At the end of the show, we asked him about his IntelliGame, and he chose Tetris Effect, which anybody who knows me knows just uh, lit me up. I absolutely adore the game. There's so much about Tetris Effect that reaches beyond the scope of just playing a normal puzzle game, and as I was reflecting on both his comments about the game, as well as this week's theme and topic of depth, I thought this might be a good time to go back to a piece from November of 2018. This was not too long after midterm elections, and things kind of felt tumultuous. But there's something about the familiarity of Tetris, a puzzle game with no actionable story, that somehow created this space for what felt like a really in-depth philosophy lesson. So, for this week's Director's Cut, we're in this together. Tetris Effect's development started in 2012. Yes, it's a Tetris game, centered around clearing lines made from falling blocks called Tetraminos. But it's also something else. 
and experience blending audio and visuals together to create something inherently immersive. If you've played Tetris in the past, you've probably already felt the game's immersion. Seen Tetris pieces falling around in your mind's eye, or maybe described moving furniture in the house or loading groceries in the car as playing Tetris. Those experiences conveyed the game's namesake. The Tetris effect is what happens when our brain gets so caught up on an experience or idea that we see it everywhere we go. This game, however, flips the idea on its head. Instead of seeing Tetris all over our worlds, we see our worlds all over in Tetris. Now, mind you, you'll still probably see Tetris blocks at your grocery store after playing this game anyway. Tetris Effect's 30-plus stages vary in theme and musical setting, from underwater landscapes with stingrays and dolphins made of iridescent light, to jazz-inspired city streets, volcanoes to starry ethereal expanses. Each stage's music changes with the gameplay. Rotation and movement of Tetraminos trigger correlated sound effects. The result is a unique sonic composition that's both compelling to play and also to watch. This was all I expected from the game, and it delivered that in overwhelmingly good ways. But then I noticed that it infused a message inside the game as well. The first time that I saw Tetris Effect was actually at the Portland Retro Game Expo in 2018. During the Classic Tetris World Championships, they had like a little demo station where you could put on PlayStation VR and play the game. And I wanted to so badly, but I couldn't because the Mac and Cheese Festival in Portland was the same day and I hadn't made enough time. And that might be one of the first worldiest, hipsteriest things I have ever said in my life. But I remember just seeing the this stage where it looked like there were all of these like fire worshippers praying to the god of Tetris and just being completely overwhelmed and thinking, what what can that be like? And it turns out it, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. The game's reveal trailer included a song called Connected, the track used for the game's first level. And by the way, there's a link to Connected on the original article. Last Sunday, when I played the demo before the game's full release, I remember being struck by the song's chorus in particular. Maybe it's just a symptom of 2018, but the idea of the world all being connected feels foreign, alien. Searching for a source of unity in the midst of the U.S. midterm election seemed like trying to find water in the most arid of deserts. The only real-world mention of humanity as a singularly bound group seems to come at the end of warnings about climate change. And if that felt true in 2018, it certainly feels true in 2020. With all of the political infighting that has come with trying to figure out who the Democratic candidate for president is going to be, and any number of potentially existential threats that seem to be kind of enveloping the globe. But I do still feel like I see some hope through experiences like this game. 
I thought that this would be a one-off scenario. An upbeat, happy song to get people in the mood for Tetris. Whatever that means. But then I heard the lyrics from the next stage. As a Twitch streamer, content creator, entrepreneur, and any number of other creative taglines looking for views, viewers, money, and the stability that many would have you believe comes with those things, that line, that aiming for the top but what's the reason, stopped me in my tracks. It's something I've talked about a lot with my friends. Why do we make what we make? What's the drive in creating the communities? the videos, the emotes. Are we all just players in a game with a gigantic leaderboard, reaching for some mysterious prize that comes with being the number one whatever? Tetris Effect veers gently away from all of that. And this is, again, I... It's the nature of living in a capitalist system, right? The thing that you do has to be successful enough that people want to give you money for it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. When we give money or time or energy to something that we care about, we help it grow. We invest ourselves in it, and that helps make that space better. But there also, at some point, has to be a, a sort of understanding that growth has to be for a purpose. And I think that when we spend so much time idolizing people who are at the top of some arbitrary ladder, when we look at people like Ninja or PewDiePie or any of these folks who are making a bunch of money and have a bunch of influence but don't necessarily set a, a like moral footing we kind of have to ask ourselves what what's the real point what's the long-term gain what do we do for ourselves as a society by idolizing the position and the opportunities that seem to come with the folks who have aligned themselves to this particular style of content creation or whatever it is and I should get back to the article. <laughs> These three lines of love and unity aren't just window dressing in Tetris Effect. They're the game's heart. Though most of the game's tracks are instrumental, each of the vocal tracks ties to some sort of positivity, elevation, and potential. The game's campaign, called Journey Mode, doesn't just go through a sequence of increasingly difficult levels. The challenge ebbs and flows and each stage is made up of three segments. Some segments are calm, while others are blistering and intense, just like life itself. The gameplay mechanics practice what the visuals and music preach. Perhaps that's why the lyrics to Connected feel like more than just some anime-style theme song. In 2018, we're on edge for good reason. Any number of threats seem to surround us on all sides. And the news and social media constantly berate us with new situations to keep us on guard. The messages are dire, and they compel us to keep clicking, keep scrolling, searching for... something. Tetris Effect tells us to stop scrolling, stop searching. The pieces for our puzzle will come to us, and we need to focus on arranging our boards, tackling challenges as they arise. We don't need to climb over each other to battle for the top spot, 
We're all connected in this world. Nothing could measure the strength inside our hearts. We can do this together. Finally, to close up the show, our game recommendation from IntelliGame Club curator Jenny Wyndham. If you want to think more about the world, our environment, and the place that we have in it, you should give this game a look. I remember one afternoon swimming off the coast with my partner, not the Oregon coast, mind you, because that's way too cold. And while we made our way out further from the shore, I recall the astounding amount of wildlife that began to blossom around us as we got further from the shore. Small clouds of jellies, schools of fish, eels, a barracuda in the distance that made us a little more than anxious, and two sea turtles circling and meandering by us, trying to grab food and giving us a lot of side-eye because definitely weren't supposed to be there. It made my entire day and remains one of the most breathtaking afternoons of my life, especially seeing those sea turtles. And if you're looking for another game like Mythic Ocean to take you into a beautiful underwater world, playing Abzu is another great option that evokes a sense of wonder for and respect towards the natural world without giving you the sweaty palms feeling of literally having to put on a wetsuit and diving in underwater. Developed by Studio Giant Squid, which is comprised of several of the same team members from Journey, another game wreck I am slyly sneaking in right now, Abzu puts you in the flippers of a diver. But unlike real life, you don't have to worry about coming up for air, checking oxygen levels, or collecting gear. The goal of this game is to allow you to enjoy the ocean and its wildlife unfettered by the stuff that we normally need. I love that games like Abzu, Mythic Ocean, and many other exploration-themed titles are picking up on the fact that Perhaps as a player, that that fits more along the lines of how I wish I could explore the water in real life, and getting to do that in the game feels great. You can shift from third person to a first person view, observing fish and seeing what they're called, and not have to worry about anything eating you. Moving through the ocean feels so graceful. Again, probably like how you wished you could feel if you were swimming, like a mix between a mer person and a dancer. And I love the music and how it transitions through each biome and story beat. You'll get to explore warmer, shallower reefs, kelp forests, and yes, you will get to dive deeper into the lower reaches of this environment. Abzu is a feast for the eyes. It is very stylized, but within this style does convey the magic and power of the ocean and its inhabitants. Abzu also has a larger story to unravel as well. Why does this diver need to explore? What are the portals that you keep finding, and why is a great white shark following you and antagonizing your drone sidekicks? I hesitate to say more about the story other than these things, because part of the joy in this game is that sense of discovery, not just in the ocean, but with the plot as well. But while there is a story, I encourage you to, again, take your time with this game and utilize the meditation functionality just to observe and enjoy the diverse wildlife and creatures in this world. This week I was watching a documentary on Netflix, because I watch far too much Netflix, and it was illustrating how we as humans are really messing up the environment, and the cues that allow ocean life, and wildlife in general, to live, breed, and interact with one another in the ways they need to to survive. That, combined with thinking about both Abzu and Mythic Ocean, made this week, for me at least, a lot about reflecting how we can make shifts to protect this world. There's no one easy solution, as what we're doing to the environment is made up of so many factors, but with games like these where we're hopefully creating personal experiences of playing, perhaps evoking our own past memories of the ocean through this interactive medium, and connecting our love of the ocean to an experience we can all share, 
perhaps that can help in its own ways. You can find Abzu now on PS4, Steam, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. That was IntelliGame Club curator Jenny Wyndham. You can find more of her work on Twitch or YouTube at KimChika, or find her on Twitter at KimChika25. That does it for another edition of IntelliGame Radio. I've been your host, Josh Boykin. Find more information about IntelliGame by going to our homepage, IntelliGame.us, or find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, at IntelliGameUs. You can also find us streaming live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash IntelliGameUs on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Thanks again go to Robin Haley and Darren Molly of Paraloon Studio. You can find out more about Mythic Ocean at mythicoceangame.com. Also, as a special heads up, if you're going to be attending PAX East in Boston this weekend, make sure you keep an eye on the IntelliGame social media. We might be having a small meetup, and it'd be great to see you there. Until next time, folks, thanks for tuning in, and keep IntelliGaming.